You know, I used to make what I think now are mistakes around goals where I would set annual goals. You know, I want to do this this year. A year is too long for a goal. You can't know what's going to happen on the way. If you're trying to set these large goals, it's just too long of a period. You can't get a brain around it. <clears throat> and I would, I would literally forget that I'd made them, not look at them all year, and then look at them at the end of the year and go like, well, that didn't happen. I went a completely different direction. And that's informed my teaching about what I call vision, uh, vision charting, which is to say which way you want to go, basically so that you can make decisions about what you're doing now that are in that direction, that are not against, that are going to support you moving in the direction that you say you want to go. But as soon as you start stay, taking action, as soon as you start actually doing the thing that you think you want to do, that seems like it's in the direction of where you want to go, it's going to change everything about your vision and should. If your vision isn't changing, you're probably not looking at it closely enough. Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living Podcast, where we are reimagining and redefining what it means to be in midlife, where we are gathering energy, momentum, and excitement for our next chapter via candid conversations with other midlifers about their own pivots, pitfalls, and triumphs. I'm Yvonne Marchese, your host, and I'm so happy you're here. The creative process. Ah, it's a tricky beast of a thing. If you follow me on social media, you know I love quotes. Well, when I was preparing this introduction, I looked up quotes about the creative process, and I love this one by Edwin Land. He says, An essential aspect of creativity is not being afraid to fail. I just had to share that here because, well, you may be wondering, Yvonne, why are you talking about the creative process? What does that have to do with midlife reinvention? Well, my friend, I contend it has everything to do with midlife reinvention because reinventing yourself is a creative process. I believe that we need to start with allowing ourselves to daydream and visualize what's possible in order to begin the process of reinventing ourselves. You might be thinking, okay, daydreaming, I'm a pro at that, but daydreaming doesn't lead to change. It's just wishful thinking. Well, that's often true because what often happens right after we allow ourselves to see some future possibility for ourselves is our subconscious mind kicks in to try to keep us safe and preserve the status quo. And before we know it, we have a long list of reasons why we can't do that thing we want to do. What might be stopping you could be a host of other complicating factors that are built into the creative process. And that's what I'm talking about today with my guest, Jessica Abel. By the way, I'm so excited she's here. We'll get into that in the uh, interview. So Jessica has been a self-described professional creative for over 20 years. She's published nine books, both graphic novels and prose, taught art school for 20 plus years. She's been an illustrator and editor. As she says, it's been a ride. Her books include Growing Gills, How to Find Creative Focus When You're Drowning in Your Daily Life, and Out on the Wire, The Storytelling Secrets of the New Masters of Radio, about how Ira Glass and 35 more of the best audio producers in the world use story to keep us listening. By the way, she also produced a companion podcast to go with that book, also called Out on the Wire, which is a deep dive into the creative process that I highly recommend if you're into that sort of thing. She's a critically acclaimed author and is the chair of the illustration program at the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. In the past few years, she has evolved to become founder of the Creative Focus Workshop, where she works with ambitious mid-career creative pros and businesses to help them stop grinding and carve out the deep focus needed to finish and launch the game-changing work they want to be known for. I can't wait for you to meet her, but before we do, I just want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating or review if you've been listening on a regular basis and enjoying it. Okay. So without further ado, here's Jessica Abel. Let's go. Hey, Jessica. Thank you so much for being with me today. I'm happy to be here. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy to have you here. <laughs> I I don't know if, if, I can't remember if I told you this, but the, I, I always like to say how I, how I found my guests or how we met. And 
this goes way back. Um, I was a This American Life listener back in the day, uh, before it was a podcast, back when it was just radio. And your illustrated guide, radio and illustrated guide, I, you know, I was transitioning out of, or I was starting to think about transitioning out of being an actress and what I might do next. And I wasn't sure, but I was, I loved that show. And so I was like, wow, maybe I'll start producing radio stories like that. I feel like everybody has a story. I love the way they tell, you know, just, just like those little everyday people in everyday life kind of stories. And so I got your guide and, uh, got radio, uh, radio and illustrated guide. Yes. Radio and illustrated guide. And between that and transom and a bunch of other stuff, I got myself a, a cheap, uh, shotgun mic. And I even interviewed one person, but then I'll tell you what happened. I got married. I got, I got pregnant. I got, you know, and, and then whoosh, years went by and I lost the thread on that and didn't know where I was going. And it's so funny. Like here I am like close to 20 years later and, uh, launched my podcast this last year. And I didn't even realize I, as I got the idea for the podcast and I put it off for doing it for two years, I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me that this all went way back to that. So I'm just really excited to have That's a very cool story. Yeah, that book came out and this is a, basically a 32 page comic book, like a floppy comic book that Mm -hmm. I put out in conjunction with This American Life, initially for a pledge drive premium in 1999. And that was the spark that then led to my book, out on the wire 15 years later. I can see that. I can see yeah. that. And, yeah. and I would like to say that although podcasting didn't exist back then, I lived in Mexico City in 98 uh, and 99. And we live stream, we streamed This American Life down there. <laughs> we would listen to it over real audio, which is like, I mean, it was essentially proto podcasting. Like you could listen to it asynchronously yeah. Yeah. and not in a local radio area. So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know if I, how many people are aware of that, but very, not a lot of shows did it, but they did it. They had a feed where you could listen to their show wherever yeah. you were. Oh my gosh. I, I, I may have been doing it at that. Well, I think I was mostly just, just tuning in. I can't remember if I was streaming back then. I have no idea. It was rare. I got to say, it was not fun to stream. It was, you know, <laughs> 56.6 baud modem, the biddly boop thing. And yeah, exactly. And then there'd be pauses, rebuffering. There's actually a panel in Radio and Illustrated Guide of me listening, to, or in, out on the wire, I guess, of me listening to um, This American Life over streaming in 1998. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's hilarious. Uh, wow. And you know, it's killing me because um, I, I I still have the old kit that I that I bought back then. It, it, I bought this, I found this funky looking, what was supposed to, they were selling it as like a makeup bag, but it looked like an old doctor bag. So it had, so it was like this black thing and it had, that you'd open it up from both sides and hinged things would open up and it had a tray inside and the whole thing. And so I had bought myself a little mini disc player. Remember those days? Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and I've still got the little mini disc, uh, the little mini discs that are all in there with the shock. Oh my God. I'd, I've been looking for the, the, your, your radio and illustrated guide to see if I could find my copy of it. And I, it, it is, it is lost in all the moves that we've done and all that stuff. So I'm going to have to go look in my mother-in-law's basement or something <laughs> to try to find it. It's still in print. You can still get it. Like, you can actually still get buy another the book. copy of it. Yeah. It, it, and, it's and, actually, yeah. The bulk of it is is forms the preface of Out on the Wire. So the content of it, if you have Out on the Wire, you've got it. Uh, there's a section that is not reprinted in Out on the Wire that's about other ways to make audio and, and be on the radio that don't involve being on This American Life. So like community radio and doesn't talk about podcasting because that wasn't a thing. <laughs> anyway, you left that, that part out, but, um, you know, college radio, whatever. Um, but the rest of it is in 
is in out on the wire. So it, yeah. if you want the book for its sort of um, totemic properties, you can get the original book. I think I'm going to have to do that. I think, I do think <laughs> I'm going to have to do that. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, you know, I, I told you right before we started recording, I, um, I was listening to episode seven of the podcast out on the wire and it's all about the messy middle of the creative process. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've been trying to think of how I wanted to approach this conversation with you today. And, and, and that just hit me like a shovel upside the head, actually. I, I'm going to, I'm going to read to you a quote from the, that comes from it. Uh, you're talking about, um, the dark forest and, uh, you, you were talking about that feeling of being of being in the middle of the creative process and that and, and feeling like it's all crap. And where do I go from here? And uh, somebody, I forget who you're talking to, but they said, don't you wish you could send yourself a postcard? And you said, well, I kind of did. And, and you said um, you had recorded something to yourself and we're playing it back. And you said, I knew this would happen. I knew it's going to feel really shitty, like you can't breathe, like you're getting fat, like you're losing brain cells, like you're never going to be able to think about anything else ever again, like there is no end to the German forest. <laughs> oh my God, I can't tell you how many times I've been there as a photographer going through wedding photos. My husband laughs at me every time I come back from a wedding and, he's, and I'm starting to go through the photos and call and I'm like, I have shit here nothing. I have nothing. I have nothing. And then, and then I start to edit and then I start to go and, and it starts to come together. And, uh, it occurred to me that midlife reinvention is a little like the creative process. You, yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think that, you know, as a result, as a somewhat direct result of working on out on the wire, the podcast, and then having the working group. So I had a, when it came out, so uh, out on the wire, the book came out in 2015. And then in 2015 or early 2016, I created out on the wire, the podcast, which is a essentially a nine episode series that walks through the concept. So out on the wire, the subtitle is the storytelling secrets of the new masters of radio. Um, so it's a, it's a book about storytelling concepts, like how do you tell stories? And so I created a podcast that went through those concepts one by one and it had episodes on each of them and I had more space time. So I created sort of more around that during making this podcast and then, but it's, it's a fully, um, scripted and fully produced podcast, not, uh, a podcast like this, where it's a direct interview. I mean, there's music and there's, you know, there's different voices coming in. And I was really trying to learn how the people I had been studying and talking about in Out on the Wire did their work while right. I was doing this thing. Yeah. Um, but I also have this like really strong pedagogical gene. <laughs> and so I added this teaching component essentially, where there's a challenge at the end of each of these episodes it's a challenge for um, the the listener to try something from the episode. And then I created a uh, social media online group um, where people could post their answers to these challenges. And then my producer, Ben Frisch, and my husband, Matt Madden, and I would choose some responses from the group and talk about them in workshop episodes that interspersed the main episodes. So it's a really... Uh, it's it's a although it's an old podcast now it's a standalone piece it's a it's a fantastic look at the creative process man i, I it's unbelievable i've sent it to a, i have a friend who's working on writing a musical right now and she was in that messy middle she was in the dark forest you know and i was like listen you should go listen to this podcast and just see if it kind of can flush right, some of this stuff right out but as a result you, of working know? with these people yeah. in the group yeah that's what really, I mean, the dark forest, uh, which originally comes from a concept called the German forest from Jad Abumrad of Radiolab. But the German part is very, very oh, specifically tied show. to Jad's story of working on a radio piece about Wagner. So that doesn't really make sense out of context. So I've just kind of shifted it into dark forest because everybody gets that immediately. Um, mm -hmm. So right. uh, 
that concept uh, really struck me and stuck with me immediately because I recognized that from all of my creative work, every major project I've ever done, there's been something, some period that you you go in and out of. It's not something you finish really um, until the book's over. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you kind of dip in and out of this feeling of insecurity about your ideas and not really knowing if you have what you need, um, not believing in yourself and then having to build your way out of that essentially over and over again. And I saw that happening with uh, participants in this group. I started talking to people about creative process and that's led to my work for the last six years now, which is the creative focus workshop and autonomous creative where I help, um, mid-career creative people, often people who are in, not always, but often they're in some kind of transition from a corporate career into a creative career. They're just trying, they've been doing this all along, but they're trying to pivot the emphasis in their lives to putting mm -hmm. the creative work at the center. And even people who are professional creatives, often their personal work is something that's been shunted to the side by their client work and those right. kinds of things. Yes. Um, and so it really stems back to mm -hmm. really the dark forest, that moment of realizing like, this is a really powerful concept that's going to help people get unstuck and doesn't really have to do with what your medium is. It's, you know, because I was thinking about podcasting, I was thinking about comics, but when I no, made the podcast, it, it was like, I absolutely. really wanted to blow up in the gates and say, this is about really any narrative medium, but anything really the dark forest, that piece applies to everybody. Um, because there's always, the, what the Dark Forest is about is that when you make something good, when you make something that's going to be worth making, and just for the experience of, like, your own personal experience, the things that you you think of and you're like, oh, that's exciting. You're, it's exciting because it's going to challenge you. It's not exciting because it's like, oh, I already know how to do that completely and I'm just going to execute it. Like, that's not exciting. That's not something that's right. going to get you going, right? No. But it the fact that it's going to be challenging mm -hmm. to you means you're headed for the dark forest. You're going there. Because there's going to be a point at which and it's this is not the beginning. This is not the beginning of the process where you can feel perfectionism and and procrastination because it just seems so big and you can't tackle it and it's so hard. That's a whole different thing. We are we've all been there, but like that's a you know, <laughs> yeah. that's a different stage. Yeah. <laughs> the dark forest is once you're really in it yeah. and you're buried. I mean, you're in there, you've got all of the things, you've made outlines, you've made lists, you have notes, you've started chapters, you have drafts, you have, you know, interviews, like whatever it is, depending on what the thing is that you're doing. Or even if it's, you know, visual work, you have resources, you have draft, you know, you have um studies, you have whatever. With every project that's going to challenge you like that, there's going to be this central problem that you need to solve. There's going to be a uh, uh, ball of wax. There's going to be something that you have to figure out in order to make it the thing that you envision or another version of something that you couldn't have envisioned before you started. And that is something that you are not, when you start the project, you're not capable of solving. You don't know how to solve it that's why you want to do it because what we want to do as humans is live at the bleeding edge of our capabilities and and push ourselves to learn things and get better and gain mastery and that is flow that's what's exciting to us creatively speaking biologically that's what's going on you know it's not we as creatives often ask ourselves why don't we make it easier on ourselves like why are we making this so hard that's why, because <laughs> that's what's actually interesting and fun. That is what makes us grow and what makes us feel alive is, is facing those challenges. But when you're in that moment of, I haven't solved this yet, it's going to feel like you are not going to be capable of solving it. There's no solving of this thing. And it almost is invisible the moment when you start to solve it, because it's going to be some little, there are all these things scattered around and they're going to be a couple little pieces that you start going, oh, this goes with that. I can put these two things together. I've figured out a connection between two things and how I can go from here to there. And then, oh, there's the, another connection over here. And oh, those two things, then those go together. And suddenly, um, or not suddenly, slowly, and then suddenly you feel a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. And then you go, 
oh, I'm rolling. This is good. And then of course it happens again. But the, you know, that, that feeling of, yes, I'm not capable has to give way to, wait, I actually did that. I actually solved that thing. And it, it can happen. There, there are strikes of inspiration in those moments. If you keep working at it, there's a way in which there are moments when you go, right. right? It's not necessarily key. You don't have to have them Mm -hmm. to solve it, but it's great when it does happen. No, I mean, the, oh, the keeping yes, yes, working yes. on yeah. it. That's you have to keep key. hacking away right? at it going like, Isn't yeah, it, I feel like I'm not capable, but I, I'm i going to trust yeah. that I'm going to get to the other side of this if I keep working at this thing. I just have to trust this process. And uh, making those connections, making those connections, making those connections. And that is the moment when you're doing all those things that you can have that strike of inspiration where you're like, oh, this is what it's all about. This is what makes it all make sense. And now I can move forward in larger strides you know, until I hit the next big gap. That of, and the gap is in your own knowledge and abilities. But the point is to gain those abilities, not to already have them. And that's the, that's the fallacy of perfectionism is thinking you need to be ready before you start. You cannot be ready for this before you start. It's not mm-hmm. possible to be ready for what's going to come before you start. Right. I tell you, so, so starting my podcast, I put it off for two years and I made, you know, for, for what I thought were valid reasons, <laughs> but, um, from, from the idea to the doing of it, it was at least, I would say two years of me going, mm, I, I don't have time to start a project. I don't know how to do it. Bing. Don't know how to do it. Don't have the money to pay somebody to do it what the heck am I going to do? Yeah, no, not now. Later, 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 maybe, maybe later. And then it came to a point where it wouldn't leave me alone, you know? And uh, yeah. And then it was just, then it was like, I, I drew a line in the sand and said, I'm doing this. And then I went into the world of research and how do I do this? And how do I do this? And how do I do this? And that was its own rabbit hole because I totally get into that perfectionist thing. And, and I love to research stuff. So rabbit hole, rabbit hole, rabbit hole, you know, and then finally I'm like, girl, you just got to get going. You just got to start. You got to, you actually need to invite somebody to come be on your show. And you, you have some stuff now you have some knowledge. Now you just have to try it and see and see how it goes. You know, the whole process, I mean, you said it, the, the creative process applies to everything. It, it literally does. Like when I was doing theater, there would always be a point about two weeks before a show would open when everybody would start to, it, it was universal across, across the cast and the director and everything. You just start to feel like, oh my God, this show is complete shit. This is, how is this, this is not going to come together. You know, and then there's like the Shakespeare and Shakespeare and love the movie. It's like, how, how does it happen? It's a mystery. And it and it does. It, it starts all of a sudden you get through that and then it, it starts to gel. And so many times for me, it would be like the first time, you know, a costumer would put a costume on me and everything that I had done. And then the costume and the feeling of the shoes. And it, I, I, it would almost be like I'd feel a click and things you know, in, in the good experiences, I would feel that click and it would. But that's because you'd made all of those other insights and breakthroughs along the way, you know, you'd been rehearsing and you'd figured out how this particular line reading is going to fit with your, you know, scene partner or whatever, and that they're going to be able to respond in this kind of way. And that's going to bring out this sort of emotion. This is what you're going to tap into. So you're learning all those things bit by bit, you have all those things, and then you need to pull it together and make it cohesive in some sense. Yeah. And you got to let go of it all too. For, for, for theater, for acting, you, you have to then, you've made your decisions, you've made your choices. And then at a certain point, once it's up on its feet, you have to trust it. You have to just go, okay, now it's just now. And, and all those decisions, I can't be, you can't be in your head about it. It just has to be like, okay, Let's see where this goes. Right, which is now. like actually recording the podcast, but it's it's not that much like it's it's a different thing because you are actually on stage and you actually have to just, you know, be in the moment 
you know, while you're acting. But I do think there's some parallels too, to writing, for example, or whatever, where at some point you're like, well, that's the decision I made. So I'm writing this scene. I'm just writing it. And, and Mm -hmm. it's the, 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 the process of writing it's still revisable, you know, it's not, you're not done in the way that you are with a performance of um, theater, but it does have some of those, Mm -hmm. some of those elements, definitely. But yeah, I mean, I think that to compare that to what happens in life, um, I think that doesn't, not everybody reinvents in this kind of way, but there could be a point at which you're reaching for something and you think I need a different way of being in my life and you gather stuff and you research mm-hmm. and you what whatever, if you're not willing to commit to feeling really wrong about stuff for a while <laughs> and living in that, mm-hmm. you're not going to get out the other side. You're just going to live <laughs> with that dream of right. what it might be like, but you're not going to know. And this is, this is a thing I teach in um, my various programs and um, autonomous creative is this idea that you should be, you should, you, you can, and it often is very beneficial to um, uh, create a vision document of some kind, some kind of guiding document, like this is what I want, this is where I want to go. And you do that at the beginning and, you, and it, often it feels super awkward and you have no idea what you want and you, you don't, you know, you can't really define it. And people are like, well, how can I get there if I don't know what it is mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And um you know, I used to make what I think now are mistakes around goals where I would set annual goals. You know, I want to do this this year. Mm. A a year is too long for a goal. You can't know what's going to happen on the way. If you're trying to set these large goals, it's just too long of a period. We can't get our brain around it. And I I would literally forget that I'd made them, not look at them all year and then look at them at the end of the year and go like, well, that didn't happen. I went a completely different direction. And that's informed my teaching about what I call vision, uh, vision charting, which is to say which way you want to go, basically so that you can make decisions about what you're doing now that are in that direction, that are not against, that are going to support you moving in the direction that you say you want to go. But as soon as you start taking action, as soon as you start actually doing the thing that you think you want to do, that seems like it's in the direction of where you want to go, it's going to change everything about your vision and should if your vision isn't changing, you're probably not looking at it closely enough. It, that idea of midlife reinvention or just project finishing, you know, I have this idea, this shiny idea for a new project, then I get stuck for a while in what I call the collect phase with research and that kind of stuff. If you, you know, get through that, through the decide phase into the act phase when you're actually making the thing, and then you reflect on it, you know, you get through the whole creative engine process to, you know, make the thing. Um, by the time you get through to reflect, you realize that whatever you envisioned at the beginning is not what you ended up with. It could be similar. It could be in the mm-hmm. same direction. And hope that's, hopefully that's what the vision did for you is gave you a, a compass point. And so you ended up with something possibly better, but definitely not exactly what you thought it was going to be when you started. Right. Right. That course correction that you have to do as you go, but you can't course correct until exactly. And people think that when you create, especially if you call them goals or resolutions or something like that, people use them as a stick to beat themselves with. It's not actually useful because it prevents you from acting because you are constantly looking for ways that you're stepping out of bounds and not doing the thing that you said you were going to do. Whereas being more living with more self-compassion about what happens in your life and what actually works for you and what you respond to and what is actually exciting to you now allows you to readjust as needed. Yeah. You got to keep checking in with yourself. So, so this is the perfect time. I, I wanted to talk about like the, you had mentioned um, a tweet in, in that same episode by Kizu Kibuishi. Ka- Kibuishi. saying the name right? The, uh, the author of the graph. Kazu Kibuishi, um, the tweet on the creative process uh, that starts with, number one, this is going to be awesome. Number two, this is hard. Number three, this is terrible. Number four, I'm terrible. Number five, hey, not bad. And number six, that was awesome. And I love that you you 
talked about how, okay, well, there, there, there's that progression, but it's, it doesn't necessarily fall nice and tidily into that progression. Like you could be going back and forth between steps and, you know, and, and so if you're, if you're, if you've got that goal for yourself, it's, and, and you find that all of a sudden it feels wrong, right? Maybe, maybe it's time. It's just like keeping a constant awareness. Not just aware of your own feelings and opinions vis-a-vis your work or what you're trying to accomplish, but also, and this is why my company is called Autonomous Creative, that sense of autonomy over your decision-making, the sense that you are in charge, you get to decide. Mm. There's a lot that happens when people establish goals or again, resolutions where they feel like once they say those things, that they become external laws that if you are, or, or the idea that a a project should progress in this kind of way and you should feel this kind of mastery over it, you know, at this point or whatever it is. And all of those things become in your own mind, set in stone and something that's, um, when you are not conforming to this idea that you formed of what was going to happen, that you are wrong and bad and doing a bad job and it's your fault and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's not just Mm -hmm. recognizing, or let me put it this way, recognizing that the goals are what are out of alignment, that the, the decisions that you'd made six months ago when you didn't know all this stuff are just the wrong decisions for right now. And feeling the the sense of mastery, control, and autonomy to say, yeah, no, I don't do that. I'm not going to do that. That doesn't make any sense for me now. And I can see why I thought that it did and yay me, but now it's clearly not the case. And so I'm not going to go down that road. And I'm going to take this path because this makes more sense for me now. That, that is the hardest thing for humans, period, but creative mm-hmm. people, especially when you're out on your own trying to do self-generated, self-directed work, um, the, the idea that you get to be in charge of this is both incredibly liberating and incredibly scary. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It is. It's both. It, it is absolutely. And that both. is the core. Yeah. That is the core thing. I know, right? This is the core power. thing we teach in, you know, all of our programs is this is autonomy and the sense that you get to be in charge. You get to make the decisions. You know, we have a, we have a course, a program called authentic visibility. That's about marketing for the highly marketing averse creative. (laughs) And, um, yeah, exactly. Like, (laughs) hello, (laughs) join us. It's safe. Come on in. Um, but the, the, the thing that we do there is people come in with so many ideas that have been very legitimately, absorbed from society around because people are telling you this all the time. You should be posting more on Instagram. You should be, you know, making videos of your closet, whatever, like all the, th- all the things, do reels, make a thing. Um, there's a lot mm-hmm. of pressure to, to behave in very particular kinds of ways that um, may feel completely out of alignment with who you are, may just be undoable just in terms of the amount of work that it requires um, and often just don't work. They don't work for, for the person trying to do them because they're completely wrong for them and completely out of alignment. And so understanding that you get to decide where you're going to show up, how you're going to show up, who you're going to talk to. If you're trying to build your audience, obviously that's it's necessary to talk to people. Like You have to be available to people in order for them to see you. So like visibility like requires that that's the baseline but beyond that it's all up to you like what do you want to do and what makes the most sense and where are the people who you want to be talking to and how do you talk to them in a way that feels authentic and aligned for you so that you can keep doing it and not feel overwhelmed by it Mm -hmm. but feel energized by it I mean that's a huge question so you know I see this in so many different dimensions and so many different um yeah dimensions of creative life that that this and, and personal life too. You know, I have a, fr- a friend named Sarah Von Bargen, who's a teacher who uh, does courses on personal finances. And at a ve- again, at a very mm-hmm. elemental level, not how to invest, blah, 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 but like how to take control of your decisions of your finances, how to have autonomy over what's happening with your money. Um, 
And also she does habit building, same kind of thing. So, you know, I see this even like, I don't teach those things. I love Sarah's work. She's amazing. Um, I don't teach those things, but that's the same attitude and the same approach that we need to take on in all dimensions in our, of our life. And I acknowledge, and I want to say this right here, because a lot of people listen to me talk about this and they're like, I don't have a choice. I have chronic illness. I have small children. I have, you know, I come from a historically disadvantaged people. I, you know, all these kinds of things. I am not trying to erase any of that stuff. Those things are real. And my point is always that until you acknowledge that there are places where you do have control within the gaps left, you know, with these limitations mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, Right. privilege, lack of privilege, all these kinds of factors come in. You have to look at where you have control over your own decisions and over your own life and take th those things. And it's incredibly hard. And I acknowledge it's incredibly hard, but um, having control over the part you have control over helps make the rest of it more tolerable and get what you need out of your life, yeah. even in situations that are incredibly difficult. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a great uh, exercise that, where you, you draw a circle and what's in the circle is within your control and what's outside the circle is outside your control. And that's a great way to define for yourself. Well, what, what do mm -hmm. I have control over? You know, when you, when it, it can be hard to, to, to see what you actually have control over and mm -hmm. what to let go of. Okay. I, I, I have no control over that. So I guess I better not worry right. about it. Right. I mean, it. class exactly. Classic example for a visual artist would be: I'm an illustrator, a photographer, and I need art directors to hire me. So you set a goal. I want to be hired by ten art directors. Can't set that goal. It's not a goal you can set because you do not mm -hmm. have control over that. What you have control over is how often you contact people, how many people you contact, how often you go back to them. Those are goals you can set, and those are goals that you can fulfill. And you can watch the relationship between that and the results that you want. But it's very important to get clear on like, you know, what do you have control over? So, you know, I have a lot of people in my groups who uh, yeah. have chronic illness, for example, and uh, taking care of their bodies or, you know, whatever, usually it's physical of some kind, right? So sleeping, eating, you know, getting to medical appointments, like various kinds of things that are essential for their functioning often get minimized or elided or whatever because they feel busy, they feel crammed, they feel out of control of their time, they are not, you know, and so, and that has incredibly powerful ripple effects through your life. So if you're not sleeping properly and you get migraines, you're going to get migraines if you, and, and I'm just giving an example, maybe sleep is not a factor in any particular person's case, but for example, if that's a factor in causing migraines, um, so if you are taking control over your sleep, you're going to have more freedom because you're not going to have as many headaches that are debilitating and take you out for however long it is. So you have to go back to what you have control over. You don't have control over the fact that this is a, some, a disease, you know, a, a condition that you have that is going to be debilitating under certain circumstances. But you do have control over, you know, making sure you eat enough of whatever food group it is you need in order to to prevent this from happening tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how uh, one key change can, can be that it's like that butterfly effect. It's like, okay, this change is now going to affect that and that and that and that further on down the line or like a, you know, a chain reaction of sorts. Um, yeah. Wow. Boy. So you, I mean, you've been, a creative for all of your career and, and you've been a teacher. And so now you've kind of rolled that into entrepreneur, right? So how is that, how has that journey been for you? Mostly it's been good. I've been, I've been lucky and I've worked hard and, you know, things have been good for me. Um, within a certain scope, you know, there's nothing that I've done that's been that unicorn moment that people dream of 
creative stream of like, this is going to save me from having to do the hard stuff. <laughs> Never, I always thought it was going to happen. Never happened. <laughs> just telling you. <laughs> so um, I started making comics in college and then kept doing that through, uh, I, I'm not working on comics now, but basically my last book was published in 2019. So, you know, that's a long time, 30 years or whatever. Um, and have had good responses to it and, and built an audience, modest sized audience, but, you know, good respect from critics and all that stuff. So I'm very pleased about that. The teaching career has been successful as well. I went from adjuncting to now I'm the head of a, an illustration department. Um, and what's interesting about shifting into entrepreneurship is that as an author, so my author career I did have a business. I just didn't know I had a business. I didn't know that that's what that was. Mm. And what I've realized since mm -hmm. then, and this is kind of what I'm trying to help with in authentic visibility, is that not knowing that crippled me because I wasn't able to make decisions. Mm. You know, again, I wasn't taking control where the control was mine. And, uh, you know, there are limited places where it's yours, but if you don't exert your control in those areas, you just get swept along with the system. And so I've had a number of, you know, mainstream publishers, books, you know, New York publishers, and, you know, publishers who believe in my book and want it to do well, not maybe as enthusiastically as some other book that they might want to promote, but, you know, it's not that I've been buried necessarily in the marketing departments, but the way that marketing for um, in traditional book publishers work works is there's this really limited amount of time when you get attention from the, the uh, marketing department and the PR mm -hmm. department. And they do have reach that I don't have, but they're also working on a bunch of different books at the same time. There's just this, like, there, it's spread very thin. And, um, and it's very short. The, the time period that you get their attention is really short, unless your book rockets, you know, out of the middle, middle of the list, which mine have not. So, and then you're just, it's just there. Like the book's just there and nobody will touch it. Like nobody will do anything for it unless you're, you know, and the, the economics of it are crazy. It's just, it's a really, when you realize what's going on, structurally speaking with mainstream publishing, it's, demoralizing, frankly. Um, and the only way to make a living, if you're not one of those very, very top tier authors in conventional publishing is to just keep cranking out more books, just crank out books and fast. So that you're, and, you know, obviously mm. don't fall below a certain amount of sales, you know, keep it up where you can still sell these books, but advances are the way you live. Advances, advances, advances. Books don't generally earn out ever. Mm. So royalties are not a thing, um, again, unless you are at that really top tier. And looked at, I looked at that business model and how yeah. tired I was and how, you know, because comics are really, really hard. It's really demanding to draw 200 pages um, after you've written the whole damn thing. So I, I wanted off the hamster wheel, but I only realized what the hamster wheel was and why it was like that after I'd been on it for like 20 years or whatever, that really was a blow. And so I always try to preface this by saying, I'm, I'm very grateful for the attention I've gotten. And I'm very grateful for the writing career and the comics career that I've had. It's, it, you know, people who have believed in me and published me and my readers and the critics and people who talked about my work. I'm so grateful for all of that. But the basic underlying model sucks. And, and understanding that I was never going, there was no clear way for me ever to break out of that if I just stayed within the boundaries of what it looks like to be an author, um, conventionally speaking. Mm -hmm. Self-publishing can be an option for some people. Mm -hmm. But again, that's self-publishing <clears throat> means committing to a business explicitly and deciding you're going to take on right. the production part, the marketing part, and all that other stuff um, as an author. Yeah. Then it's all, then you're you it. are the whole. And it may or may not work. System. You know, it's not something yeah. where you have any guarantees. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I could have gone that direction. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
I could have gone that direction into self-publishing and continuing to put out books and figure that out. Uh, but it's a very, it's, it's difficult and it's iffy. And as a cartoonist, if I continue making comics, they're just too slow. I mean, you, part of it is just, you know, genre books are the biggest sellers in self-publishing because you pump them out so fast. I mean, people put out two a year or whatever. So it's, it's a volume thing. So all of that, that's probably an overlong explanation, but like when I, when I pivoted into having my own business, I could have gone into storytelling related stuff. I could have gone into more speaking stuff. I could have gone into self-publishing, but I chose to go the direction I did, which is coaching, running programs, that kind of thing. Because I've always liked having those interactions with people and helping people in this particular way. And I could see, oh, the the structure for that, I can understand how I can build a structure for this. Obviously, when I started this, I could not understand, but I could sort of vision it, you know, envision it a little bit. It's the same kind of thing. I was like, I had a vision for where I wanted to go, had no idea how to get there. And it's changed a lot on the way because as I learn things, I have to shift direction. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. I mean, so, so, so much of that is a parallel with, um, you know, all I ever wanted to do when I was, when I was growing up was be, be an actress. I mean, that was it. I, I was just one of those people who knew what I wanted to do since I was six. And, and then when I moved to New York and pursued that career, um, I got, I got to this point where I was, I was doing regional theater, you know, I was working and I was working a lot of survival jobs to, to keep it all together. But the real job of an actor is auditioning. Um, because you're always, even if you're in a job, you're always looking for the next job. And I was doing theater and watching how, you know, there were, I was working with people who had been Tony nominated, who had been to Juilliard, who were still living this gypsy existence, um, going from regional theater to regional theater. And I, I, I looked at that and realized, oh, I just, I think I'm done. And then it was like, whoa, so now what? (laughs) And that took me years um, before I figured out that photography was going to be something that would feed me, uh, my soul, I mean, and I could feed my family with it too, Um, you know. And, and now I'm on a new journey. It's like, I don't know where this podcast goes. I, I have no idea. Right now it's a passion project. Um, but I've had to learn with the photography business, how to, how to bridge that gap between creative and business person and, and, and how to learn how to, how to, how to run a business and to market and to sell and to do all that stuff. Right. And, uh, it's great that you're, you're helping people, um, creatives, Work yeah. And I want to say that it's a, it's a, for a lot of creatives, they just don't want to do it. And I don't think there's anything wrong right. with that either. It's just that you have to understand that what comes with that is lack of visibility, <laughs> lack of sales. Like if, you know, this is the, this is my pivot point really in my professional history in terms of going from being an author to being a business owner Uh, was learning about business models. What is a business model? What is my business model? Oh, that's a terrible business model. (laughs) Basically saying (laughs) that that if I was hoping to be able to support myself comfortably ever, this wasn't going to be it. I could not depend on, you know, unicorn poop to for my future plans. I'm not that kind of, some people are okay with that. I'm not okay with that. Um, and, a, and yeah. yeah, it was a terrible business model. So that understanding that allowed me to decide I want a different business model. Let me look at what's available. Let me think about what I want to do there. And then again, that has actually evolved quite a bit over time, like what the actual specific business model looks like that I'm using. Um, so I teach about business models in authentic visibility. It's a bonus because I don't want to force anybody to do that right when they enter. But I'm really hoping people do it mm-hmm. because it is just this, you know, moment of clarity on what am I trying to make work here? And for a lot of uh, creative people, what I find is the, the best way for them forward to, go, to move forward is to 
have a non-creative day job, maybe one where you can get part-time work, you know, one where you don't do this full-time and you make your work and you build your audience in your very organic, very aligned kind of way as much as you want to, but you don't have to depend on that. You don't have to depend on the creative work to support you. Mm -hmm. It's not everybody, but Mm -hmm. I think that there's this, and it's capitalism at work, there's this feeling that if you're good at something and you like something and you want to spend more time on that thing, you need to make all that needs to be your job. You need to do that. Um, you need to follow that to its, you know, quote unquote, logical conclusion. And I think that's a huge problem because people feel like if they're not making money at it, they're not good at it. If they're not making money at it, it's not real. You can still have your creative work be the most important thing in your, uh, what do I want to say? Professional life, not professional life, but your like non-relationship life, shall I say. Um, mm-hmm. that it can be the most important thing. And yet it's not what you spend most of your time on. It's not what you do to support your family. That is completely okay. And, and a lot of times I need to give people explicit permission about this and say, hey, I know you want to make comics. I know you want to make, yes. um, you know, alternative strange music. I know you want to be a poet. You want to do these different things. That's amazing. I support you. I want you to do that. But do you want to make a living at it? Because if you do, that means you're spending 60% of your time trying to sell it. Are you down for that? Because if you're not Mm -hmm. down for that, let's look at your business model. Let's just see. (laughs) How are you going to support your family? What are your needs? Let's get clear on that. And that clarity, again, it's about control. It's about saying, I decide what I want out of this. And what if I want, if what I want out of this is a paying career, then I need to look at how to design a business model that I like and that will pay me money, enough money to feed feed my family, feed myself, you know, take care of needs. Or you can say, oh, you know what? I really don't want that. I just want, I want people to be reading my book, but I don't, it doesn't need to be my job, like my main income source. So let me look at the way I'm building visibility so that it's very consistent with my goals. And I don't get confused about trying to produce income with this. Income is nice. It's great. If, if people buy my book, that's amazing. I get a little extra check here and there, but that's not the main point. The main point is people read it and we're having a conversation about it. And, you know, I enter the cultural conversation with my work. It's a different thing. Yeah, it is. I, some of the, some of my happiest moments as an actor were actually before I ever moved to New York when I was doing theater in Denver and it was community theater, but it was really good community theater. And I was going from show to show to show to show to show. And it was uh, an incredibly fertile time for me artistically. I felt very um, full, you know, in that way. But I, I wanted to make it my living. You know, I wanted it to be the the full-time thing. I'll never regret like making the move to New York and taking that taking that effort, you know, taking that stand and going, okay, let's try this thing, you know? Um, but, uh, but in the end I realized, yeah, I, I, I just, it ran its course. Right. And uh, so getting to a certain point in my life, I realized that my values were starting to change and what I wanted out of my day-to-day life. Now that I saw the system that theater was like, you saw the system and what it was to be publishing. It was like, oh, I don't, I don't think I want to live in that system, you know? And then, then you have to look at, well, okay, where do I go from here? And what you've done is take all your experience and funneled it into a new thing, you know? It's, it's, it's yeah. I mean, there was definitely a moment when I decided to make this pivot 2015, early 2016, where I looked at my large, my one remaining comics project, which then I finished a few years later. And I knew I still had to finish it. You know, it was still under contract. It was happening. Um, But other than that, I was like, I don't have any books I want to make. I don't feel like that's what I want to do. I want to build this business. I'm excited about that. But does that mean that everything I've done till now, the way I've entered a room is irrelevant? Um. Does it not matter anymore? Mm-hmm. Does it not, is it, was it wasted time? And I've definitely realized over time that that is not the case, that I could not be doing what I'm doing now without the life experience that I've had. And 
the depth of experience I have with the creative process is what allows me to be good to the extent I'm good as a coach, you know, that I, I can help people with what's happening with them because I've been there. Um, and that has helped me reintegrate my past into my present. But it still does affect me where I used to get lots of invent, uh, lots of invitations. I mean, COVID, whatever, but like lots of invitations to travel to comics conventions and show up and do panels and to do this and that as an author. I don't get those anymore. Not never, but rarely, you know, it doesn't happen all the time. And so, and when I introduce myself to people, mm-hmm. I always feel like I'm bearing the lead. No matter what I say, I feel like I'm bearing the lead because I say, hey, what do you do? Well, okay. <laughs> do I say that I'm the head of a you know, illustration department, because that's completely bearing the lead. You know, do I say that I run this program and then it'll come up later that I'm a cartoonist? I'm like, cartoonist, really? So interesting. And I'm like, okay, you know, (laughs) I didn't mean to trick you. It wasn't on purpose. There's just too many things to explain. (laughs) Uh, You know, we're complex beings. And, and, and I kind of, I, I really am trying to get away in conversation with people anyway, from asking them what they do. Yeah. Well, I mean, as an opening question, it's because very it's annoying, so but, um, the conversation about right. what you do is the conversation about who you are. So, I mean, if somebody is a, right. you know, sales rep for a car company or something, maybe it's not that interesting. I don't know. Maybe that's really interesting work. I don't know. Anyway, the point is in some cases, mm-hmm. I'm sure yeah, I work at McDonald's. It's not a conversation starter necessarily. Um, but for right. people like you and me, talking about what we do is talking about everything. So I don't I don't try to stay away from talking about people's work because I'm curious about what do they do and how are they managing that. I I try to not treat it as what's your job, but what's your work? You know, what are you mm. invested in? What do you care mm. about? Yeah. Yeah. What is it? I heard somebody like a, a great icebreaker is just to ask people, what are you excited about? That's a good way to get at getting at it. Cause I think a lot of people give it's like, here's the other icebreakers, which are, you know, what's your top movie of all time or some other, you know, some other thing like that. And it's like, I don't, that is not a good question to ask me. First of all, I'm not going to have an answer. Right. And second of all, I can't define it. Can we talk about something <laughs> that's like more interesting than that? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I love movies, but it's not, uh, that's not going to be a good one for me. But yeah, what are you excited yeah. about? Um, that kind of thing I think is, is, is great to get to more of the core question. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this has been awesome. I, I'm just looking at the <laughs> clock and I'm like, what? How did that time go by? <laughs> I want to respect your time. And and funny enough, I like to ask people at the end of the podcast what they're excited about, like at the end of the conversation. So what are you excited, excited about, about going on vacation? I'm actually going on vacation for a couple of weeks, starting in a week or so. And I now have a team. So my business doesn't stop when I go away. So I'm excited about that. It's yeah. going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a life changer. Wow. I'm just going to visit, Where are you going? visit family and friends <laughs> in I Chicago. Ask? It's not, not, not an exciting trip, yeah. but it's fun. It's going to be nice. Yeah. And, um, I'm, I'm yeah. making conscious preparations to not see work stuff. <laughs> that's, it's very integrated awesome. into my life. It's hard to, to peel that away. So that's not a, not a simple project. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, man, have a, have a great visit. Have a great visit. Thank you for your time today. I am just thrilled to have had a chance to sit down with you. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much. Well, there you have it, man. Oh man. I just loved hearing Jessica's take on things. It was truly a dream to have her on the show, considering how far back I've been influenced by her work. I have another quote for you to round out the idea that our very lives are a creative process. We're changing all the time anyway, so why not do it with some intention? So I'll leave you with this quote by Anna Devere Smith. You are an explorer. You understand that every time you go into the studio, you are after something that does not yet exist. 
By the way, if you don't know who Anna DeVere Smith is, oh my goodness, look her up and check out her work. She's an amazing creator. When it comes down to it, we are all amazing creators. You may not think of yourself that way, but every day you are creating. You're creating your next moment, your relationships, your career. You're creating something that does not yet exist. Have fun with it. The show notes are going to be packed with links this week to the things we referenced in our discussion. So if you want to go deeper or learn more about Jessica, just go to latebloomerliving.com forward slash podcast and click on the show notes for episode 59. And please take a moment to share this episode and leave a review or rating so other people can find their way here. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a fantastic week. Stay safe and well. Talk soon.